Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and teachers everywhere in the world. My name is Paul Essa, and I am a PhD student in Hebrew Bible at Yale University. And I am Rosie Candethal, a Louisville teaching fellow at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia, also in Hebrew Bible. We hope your year has started off well so far. We have preaching tips and insights for Sunday, January 21st, the year of our Lord 2024. And our passage is Jonah 3, verses 1 through 5 and verse 10. Hmm. Paul, what are your thoughts on this passage? Yeah, uh, don't we all love the book of Jonah? (laughs) Really fascinating, short, four chapters, you know, not super long at all. There are fun stuff in there. There's a big fish in there. There's Mm -hmm. the wind in there. There's trees and all the fun stuff in there. Good story. Uh, (laughs) Good story. But the episode we have today opens up with and then kum, right? Which is the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, mm-hmm. go, right? This is chapter three. And the big question is a second time? Mm-hmm. Like, indeed, a second time. That's right. You know? And that immediately takes the reader back to the beginning of the book where God actually speaks for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And the language there in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, is pretty similar to the one here in 3, verse 1. It also says, mm-hmm. And then, kum, right? Mm-hmm. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amitai, saying, go. Very similar. Mm-hmm. The, the, Hence only the second time, huh? Yeah. The second time. What right? happened? The difference is... <laughs> <laughs> and we know the story. You know, the difference is the the, the, the events that happen between chapters 1 and, and 2, right? Which is he he's sent to go to Nineveh, but instead he flees to towards Tashis. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where God, you know, decides to disrupt that journey with the great wind. And then, you know, he eventually is thrown into the sea and he is swallowed by a large fish and he remains in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And while he's there, he does a lot of praying in chapter mm-hmm. two, you know, sort of regretting the entire moment. And then he's spewed off onto dry ground. And then we get the word of the Lord come to him a second time mm. in chapter three. Mm-hmm. So this time it looks as though he gets a chance to pursue God's command. And p- perhaps because of what he has experienced um, throughout his journey, initial journey towards Tashish and, you know, his experience underneath the sea, he learns that God is not giving him any option. Like, this is the only thing you have to do, dude. No matter what you think and what you feel about this command, you must go to Nineveh, you know? <laughs> yeah, so despite Jonah's best efforts, he's not getting out of this mission, right? God has yeah, chosen Jonah and Jonah will go whether he likes it or not. And right now, he, he doesn't lot. seem to like it. It's it's not going well. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, the rest of chapter, chapter three, which the RCL only gives us five verses mm-hmm. and one, right? It you know, goes through five and then jumps whoop, to, you know, ten. But, you know, that uh, episode focuses on Jonah actually in Nineveh, right? Mm-hmm. Right now he is in Nineveh in chapter three. You know, the, the message that he sends there, he's preaching, the response of the people and God's repentance, right? And this is a really Christian word, but like God's change of mind mm-hmm. about the people of Nineveh. That's what we see in the rest of the chapter. 
um, Nineveh's response to uh, uh, Jonah's, what, what I, I see again perceive as reluctant preaching. It's like he didn't want to go at the beginning. God sort of drags him all the way through and then he finally ends in and he preaches, right? <laughs> despite his yeah. best efforts, yes. Just, despite all of that. <laughs> well, in any case, you know, here in chapter 3, we often focus on the theme of God changing his mind about you know, the calamity that he said he was going to bring upon the people of Nineveh. Um, and then he generously offered them for forgiveness. And I think that all of that is fine. We have actually discussed this on this podcast at some point in the past before. But I guess, you know, I want to try and focus on the people of Nineveh and their response to Jonah's message. Um, and that's what I would offer as an invitation for preachers to also consider as a preaching, preaching tip. And I guess what draws me to focus on Nineveh's response to Jonah's message is that I did not expect them to heed to the message genuinely. <laughs> yeah, I, you were surprised. I, very surprised. Uh -huh. Like, this is Assyria, man. They, they were once the mighty ones mm -hmm. of the world. They, they didn't seem to care about Israel or its God when they conquered it in the past. You know? and, and so why should they care this time? Why, why should what Israel's God, a foreign God, have to say about them be a concern for them after all, right? Why should they? But we see the opposite, you know, and the phenomenon of Israelite prophets um, journeying to uh, another nation to present a message from Israel's God is very rare. Actually, it happens only twice in the Bible. It's Elisha and Jonah. Mm. And Elisha goes to Damascus and gives, gives an oracle about Ben-Hadad, you know, which didn't go well. So it's all part of my sort of surprise reaction from these people. And like, you know, it's really striking. And, you know, I just want to dwell on that for, for a moment here and think about um, how the people and why should the people at all care about what God has to say. I think this is such an important point, too, because we take for granted, like you said, there's a certain um, familiarity with Jonah's story. We kind of yeah. focus on the reluctant prophet rather than yeah. thinking about, yeah, how extraordinary that, first of all, Jonah is going to a foreign people, a people yep. that are superior in almost every way to Israel, yes. larger yes. territory, more power, more wealth more yeah. military um and yet mm -hmm. here comes jonah with this very short terse message <laughs> repent <laughs> yeah short right? indeed yeah. <laughs> right? that's it very short message and the people uh, from from the king all the way down to you know the the animals respond yeah. in you yeah. know and you're right that maybe for preachers to be thinking about how do we um how do we emphasize the surprise that mm -hmm. the the passage is also trying to say is that there's something mm -hmm. deeply surprising. Although Jonah seems to think this is exactly how he oh, was yeah. afraid it was going to go, right? Yes, but for yes. us, we, I mean, for us, I think who also occupy a dominant position in the world in America, that's right. That's uh, right yeah. It might be helpful to think about well, what does it take for us to listen to a message like this? Would we? Indeed. Would, uh, we? would we at would all? We? <laughs> well, Jonah might not be surprised, but I guess we will be surprised. And, and unfortunately for Jonah, but good for the Ninevites, mm. right? They took the message very well. That's right. They um, were receptive. They were very receptive. They, they, you know, in verse 5 through 6, um, the king, the people, whether great or small, 
animals, like he rightly said, Rosie, and all living beings believed in God. Mm. They fasted, they put on sackcloth. Indeed, the king removed his robe, you know, the mm. symbol of his power, and covered himself with sackcloth, a symbol of humility, remorse, and a change of mind, and he sat in ashes. Like, all that's really, really good imagery to describe the sort of emotional and psychological and religious state of the people at the hearing of God's message. And the three things here, fasting, sackcloth,ing and sitting in ashes, uh, for me, are representative of the sort of mass repentance. You know, I'm a little hesitant to use repentance, but it's like, it's like it, you know, that's what it embodies, mm -hmm. repentance, the change of mind that the texts attest for Nineveh. It is not new. Back in Israel, Jacob performs the same sackcloth moment, you know, what I'm calling a sackcloth moment in Genesis 37 when news of Joseph's supposed death reaches him. Hmm. You know, the Bible says he tores his robe mm -hmm. and then he clothes his loins with sackcloth and then, you know, he mourns the death of his son. And David does, does the same for Abner in, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 31. And then the most like really interesting and moving one for me is like Mordecai in Esther chapter four, this mm. one through two, you know, when he heard the news of the decree about the death of the Jews, uh, the text says he put on sackcloth and ashes and walked through the city wailing in a loud and a bitter cry, mm. you know, mm -hmm. it's like a really deep moment of uh, vulnerability. And we see the same in Job. We see the same in Daniel. We see other prophets uh, do the same, put it on sackcloth and sort of mourning and wailing. Uh, they are very low moments, uh, both of their lives and the community that they serve. And for me, this gesture is like a, a public display of a deep emotional place of submission, of vulnerability, of of grief. And here in Jonah, the Ninevites use it to petition God to hold off on his plan to destroy them. And guess what? It works. It, mm. it, it perfectly works. In verse 10, God completely changes his mind and he decides to go the opposite direction, which Jonah was very angry about in chapter 4. Mm. But I guess the preaching tip that I'm offering preachers here is to consider dwelling on uh, what I am framing as the sackcloth moment that the text expounds, mm. right? This, this sort of public um, embodied way of saying, I'm sorry. And I ask myself, when was the last time we as individuals and as communities and as nations and as a people experienced or even um, submerged ourselves in, uh, you know, a sackcloth moment when we sat in, in ashes and fasted and gestured our uh, submission to God and God's word in a very embodied way, claiming reverence um, uh, and the sovereignty of God's word and truth of our lives. And perhaps as individuals um, in this early stage of the new year, I think this, this time is so ripe for an experience like this. And I hope that uh, we will consider you know, an extended moment before God um, in submission, in vulnerability, in prayer, in um, in reverence, acknowledging God and God's hand and work in our lives and over our lives, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing that you're making me think of, Paul, is that uh, I was struck when I was looking at the liturgical calendar that mm -hmm. we're looking at Jonah here in the third Sunday of Epiphany, 
but the liturgical season of Epiphany falls right before Lent. And so the images that you're evoking for us are Lenten images, but here they are in the middle of Epiphany. And I wonder if there isn't sort of a liturgical meaning that we can draw from this, that in the midst of the revelation of God, Mm -hmm. true mourning, true repentance is Mm -hmm. revelation of God. So that's, I mean, not only is Nineveh affirming that Jonah's message Mm -hmm. is from God, Mm -hmm. their response is a revelation of God within them. And that is something the entire, you know, book with its challenge that here we see God at work in this people that were formerly enemies, uh, but now because of their response are a part of God's people. That's incredible. And I think, you know, just liturgically, there's a a lot of weight to experiencing that in the middle of a season where, you know, it's not just an empty celebration, but the idea is that true mourning is a response and a recognition of God's presence in our midst. You, you were completely right. I, I don't readily think about uh, the liturgy and the sort of connections that that makes between the texts that we that we read. But I think you bring it up, you know, so beautifully because like ash is is something that we use like during Lent, right? We, we use ash as like. Know, a, a representation of all the all the the tenets of the faith that we believe about the the moment in, in the liturgical year and, and and I think Jonah gives us the chance to to think about that and to prep for that and to foresee that coming up in the next few weeks as we as we dive into several of, of the other texts that are coming up but I guess like I, I would like to wrap up here in the text by by giving a big shout out to to brother Jonah, you know, in the passage and, and saying he doesn't get saying, a lot of shout out, right? Doesn't, he doesn't get a lot of affirmation from preachers. Not at all. Not at critique all. Critique him very easily. <laughs> we do critique him very very easily, and so I want to say a big congratulations to Jonah in the passage. I, I think he did. I think he did. He did quite well. Although the you know the sort of emotional situations around God's call and. You know, sort of God's response to Nineveh—they were all very difficult for him to contain. Um, I think it did very well. The work itself is enormous in that uh, the text says the city was exceedingly large. Mm-hmm. So it's big. It was a it was a Herculean tax, big tax to to take. You know, and he had to do all all of it on foot. You know, he had to walk on foot and you know go around and um, cry out in the former enemy territory and say. You know, forty days more, and many of you shall be overthrown. <laughs> overthrown. And, and I think Jonah is truly one of the few prophets in the Bible who who really gets um, results from his preaching. A lot of the a lot of the passages and the prophets it ends nowhere. Like either we don't know, or the people just don't listen. But you know, here we have Jonah, and he seems to still unexpectedly the people listen and he, he gets a, a, a lot of results from his preaching and so you know i just want to say a good kudos to brother jonah here mm. <laughs> so preachers maybe take a, a note of encouragement from our friend jonah whether reluctant or excited to preach this sunday <laughs> you might just sort of look at jonah and see his persistence in these three days of you know his preparation his preaching his walking his yeah. being amidst the people and yeah, just an incredible response. So, Paul, that's, I think, a great place to leave our listeners. Uh, thank you for your work on this passage. Mm, uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. 
Friends, we hope you also found something helpful in our discussion today. And remember that you can find an episode on just about every passage in the lectionary by using the handy search box on our website at firstreadingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found us helpful, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you found us. First Reading Podcast is produced by me, Paul Essa, Tim McNinch, and Rachel Wren. Until next time, I'm Rosie Candlethal. And I am Paul Essa. Have a great week preaching.